0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath Services. Last night, before I went to bed, I thought I would check the news to see how they were doing on voting for the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And they elected him. And let's see what they can do. And let's see if they will do the common sense things or whether we're going to be an absolute gridlock. Either way, it's going to be interesting to watch. But for us, we're preparing to take over the world. All of us are preparing to take their places. Because they don't do things God's way. And Satan is always in the mix. So we need to prepare. We need to work. We need the love of God because the title for this message is The Love of God, God's for You, and Yours for God. And we will see that it is quite a wonderful thing that God is doing. Now, a lot of people like to want to do great works for God. Big buildings. I was watching a Uh, a special the other day there, and they were talking about the Taj Mahal and how that was built and everything, how precise it was. Well, that's going to be gone pretty soon. So let's look at this. Let's understand this, that what we are going to do must come from God with his Spirit, and with our full love and cooperation. So let's come here to Isaiah 66 and look how people want to do great things for God. I remember when they were going to build the auditorium in Pasadena, they tried to make it after the the temple of God. Well, it didn't turn out to be that way at all. Okay? Now here, Isaiah 66 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then? How's it going to be? Is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my footstool, or my rest rather? For all these things my hand has made. So he's telling them, everything you want to do for me, I have already made. So what are you going to do for God, who is God? that created the heavens and the earth, and all that there is in it. How big and important is any man? Well, we will see. For all these things my hand is made, and these things came to be, says the Lord. But to this one will I look. Now, when someone starts seeking God, We find from Revelation the first chapter and Revelation the fifth chapter that the seven eyes of God are constantly going throughout all of the earth, seeking those who are seeking him. And that's how we find God. We come to the point, we realize we need God because our lives are messed up in whatever great degree or minor degree that it may be. To this one will I look, him who is of a poor and contrite spirit, not lifted up in vanity. Poor doesn't mean lack of wealth. It means not thinking of yourself as highly exalted. Poor and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Okay? So when they don't, when they go on their own way, when they go against God, then things don't work out. Then they wonder, like in the world today, why is the world so bad? Why are there so many evil people around? Well, I just covered that here in a recent message, and we are in halfway through that third generation leading to destruction. So we'll see if there's any turnaround at all. Okay. So here's what happens. And look what happened to the temple that God had Solomon build, And he gave the plans to David, his father, to give to him to build it. And it was all magnificent. And God appeared to Solomon and said, If you will seek me and if you will keep my word, this house will dwell here forever. If you will love me and keep my commandments. Just summarize what he said. Same way with the children of Israel, okay? So here's what happens when they kick God out. He who kills an ox as if he killed a man, he who sacrifices a lamb as if he broke a dog's neck, he who offers a grain offering as if he offered swine's blood, and he who burns incense as if he blessed an idol, yea, they have chosen their own ways. That is the key. See, we come to God. We're telling God, Lord, we don't know how to live our lives. We've just messed them all up. And then you come to repentance. We'll talk about that in a little bit, okay? They have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose their delusions. So God gives back to those who disregard him. And God gives back to those who love him, fear his name, and keep his commandments. And what is the ultimate that he's going to give us? eternal life. So you see the stakes are really high. I will also choose their delusions. I will bring their fears upon them because when I called and the call is going out and has been going out since the time of Christ, no one answered So that's what it has to be for us. We have to answer the call of God. We'll see that in a little bit. And when I spoke, they did not hear. And how do we know what God speaks? Because we're to live by every word of God that proceeds out of his mouth, right? Okay. It's written down. So in this age, at this time that we are living in, no one has any excuse. Because instead of humbling themselves to seek God, they blame God. And He's not responsible. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Okay? Now, what does God delight in? What is it that God really wants? Now, he can provide everything for us. He's made the heavens. He's made the earth. He's put everything on the earth. And right now, we see that God is being merciful even to the wicked. Here in California, we're getting a lot of rain. And we were getting at the point that if we didn't get any rain— we were really going to be in dire troubles. So God is even merciful to the unjust. And a lot of that has to do, number one, with his plan and the timing that he has with that. And number two, those people who are the begotten children of God destined for the first resurrection. Okay? So, since he's going to give us eternal life, God expects us to become the way he wants us to be. Now, Paul, in dealing with the church at Corinth, so let's come to 1 Corinthians 13, he was dealing with kind of a wild congregation when you read First and Second Corinthians They had every evil under the sun coming there, and no doubt because Corinth was one of the debauched cities of Greece with all kinds of sexual perversion and idolatry and things like that. And so when they came into the church, oh, they could see that there was a change. But then sin came in, In chapter 5, and they had to put the man out, and Paul had to correct them. Then he had to correct them even more, because so many of the things they were doing, they were incorporating things from the philosophies of the world and from the religions of the world, and they had plenty of that in Greece, right? Okay. And the major apostasies within the churches of God came from the Greek philosophers. So Paul had a lot of difficulties. And here they were all talking about who was important in chapter 12, chapter 12 in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Well today the body of Christ is scattered everywhere. But thankfully for live streaming services, and for websites and things like this, we can still reach all the brethren and still put out a warning message to the world. See. Now, how God will open the doors to make those things become even more evident? We'll just have to wait and see. Or God himself placed certain ones in the church, first apostles, that's what he called first, Secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. So, this is the order of how God put them in. Thirdly, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, and various languages. So, then he asked the question Are all apostles? Are all teachers? Do all perform miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in different languages? Do all interpret? No. It goes to different ones as God desires. So he says, verse 31, But earnestly desire the more edifying gifts, and yet I show you a way far superior to these. Now think about a minute what we covered there in Isaiah sixty six. Look at how great men have thought that other men were when they did great works and built great buildings. And you know, in our age they built dams and and uh, great tall buildings, you know. And a little sidebar on the tall buildings, you read Revelation sixteen Part of the seven last plagues is, and all the cities of the earth fell. Now, I want you to think about how powerful that that's going to be. And whenever you see pictures where it shows cities, cities at night with the lights and their tall buildings, and you'd be amazed how many tall buildings they have in the, in the Arab states in the Middle East some of the tallest buildings in the world. Well, it, God says they're all going to fall. Okay. So what does that tell us about the importance of men? Okay. The importance of men is this. Men and women, that they receive the Holy Spirit of God and they use the Holy Spirit of God so that God can work in them to develop the character that He desires so that we can have eternal life. And we're going to see that the most important one is love. And how does that work in our lives, and how does that work toward others? And Paul explains it here in this very short chapter, First Corinthians 13. Verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Now, think how important people would look upon someone who's talking in angel language. You know, oh, did you meet this man? He can talk in angel language and talk to angels. Oh, he must be special. But do not have love. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Or you could put it this way. One of the worst things that is annoying is taking chalk and going backwards on a chalkboard and you get that screeching noise. You all know what that is, okay? So that might be equal to this. If I have the gift of prophecy... And everyone wants to know what's going to happen in prophecy. When it's going to happen, what's going to be done, see? And every time we think we're right at the cusp of things taking place, boom. Things change, and there's more time. So think about all of the false prophecies, even within the churches of God, down through time which have never taken place. Remember? One of the most famous booklets that was sent out, sent out more than any other booklet. 1975 in prophecy. Remember that one? That's when Jesus was to return. And based on that, the church was going to flee to a place of safety in 1972. But it never happened. See, And then another one said, well, it's going to be 88 and 89, 97, 98, 2007. And here there are some that were in the teens of the 2000s. And here we are, 2023. And we don't know how much time we have. And so we need to be busy about developing the character of God rather than trying to watch the prophecies and know every little detail. Now, God has given us understanding to a certain point. That's fine. Okay? But that doesn't mean we know everything. The gift of prophecies and understand all mysteries. And all knowledge. Be the smartest person in the world. And if I have all faith. So as to remove mountains. But do not have love. I'm nothing. Nada. Zero. I'm nothing. Okay? Now. That's. What the Spirit of God helps us understand. So that we can have replaced in our behavioral actions and in our thinking and in our relationship with each other the following things. Now he continues here. And if I give away all my goods and I deliver my body to be burned, that that I may be burned and do not have love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient. Now here are all the characteristics, which are what? Things that come from the Spirit of God. Love is patient and is kind. Love envies not. Now, as I read these things, think about yourself. Think about what you think. Think about how you act. Think about how you are toward brethren. Think about how you are toward people in the world. Okay? Love does not brag about himself. Boy, and how many times. Okay? Look at all of the sports figures. They brag on themselves, I this, I that, I the other thing. Okay. Well, I think the incident last week on Monday Night Football where that one young player almost died and everybody could see, yeah, life is temporary. Does not brag upon itself, is not puffed up. We don't say, "Oh, this person, that person, that person, the other one," and build them up. See? Because remember, whatever we have comes from God. Love does not behave itself disgracefully, does not seek its own things, no plans to work out what you want. See? Now this happens all the time in the world, right? Yes, is not easily provoked. Now that's a good one to work on, right? Thinks no evil. Now there's one we all have to continually work on, right? And especially in this world when it pours through our homes via the television or our farts, our, our, our our smartphones, okay does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Now, a little sidebar on truth. Truth must be verified with truth. Compare truth with truth, and let the scriptures interpret themselves. That's how we keep from coming up with false doctrines. Okay? Love bears all things. Now, that means whatever you're going through, the love of God to you and your love to God will see you through it. Bears all things. Believes all things. Now, and likewise with brethren, we need to believe each other, and none of us have any agendas of anything that represents what we think or our pet doctrines that we think are greater than what God reveals to us. See? Because that's what gets people in trouble. There are still people out there who are following that elder in the in one of the churches of God that says he and his wife are the two witnesses. See? You need to have the truth. Okay? Love never fails. Never fails. It will always work. One caveat sometimes it takes quite a while, but it always works. Okay? Whether there be prophecies, they shall cease. Whether there be languages, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And that's true today. Now look at the events that are taking place. Here, the last couple years, everybody's been excited, boy, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the end. All right? Let's see how all of that works out, because there may be a whole lot more to go to happen before we get to the real end. And remember, the one that represents the beast power, the man, the whole world's going to worship him. He's going to be like Messiah in the flesh. Do we see anyone on earth that has that capacity today? No. Well, that tells us there's more time than we've been thinking. And whatever time God gives us, we need to use that time to grow in grace and knowledge and overcome. Verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, and that is Christ, and the fulfillment of all the prophecies, then that which is in part shall be set aside. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I reasoned as a child. And sometimes adults haven't gotten out of that yet. So that may be a good thing to work on, okay? But when I became a man, I set aside the things of a child. For now we see through a glass darkly. We understand certain things, maybe quite a lot more than Paul did. Oh, yes, I'm sure it is. And we understand a lot concerning in the book of Revelation, more than we did when we first came into the church, okay? But how long is that going to take place before it, it's really fulfilled to the full? We don't know. Okay? But then, that is at the resurrection, we shall see face to face. Exactly as I have been known. Now that agrees with what John wrote in 1 John, the third chapter, that when we are raised from the dead, we will see Jesus exactly as he is, because we will be like him. Okay. Now then he says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, And love. And that's what true Christianity is based upon through Christ. Faith in Christ. Faith in the Father. Faith in their plan. Faith in using the Holy Spirit of God. Hope. We have our sins forgiven. We are able to hope in the promise of eternal life and hope in the fulfillment of God's prophecies, in the hope of being faithful to the end, and all of those things are part of the hope which comes from God, and love. But he says, the greatest of these is love. Now why? Because love of God gives us understanding. And love of God shows us what we need to do. So I want to pick up where we left off last week, and let's come to the Gospel of John, chapter 14 again. See, because everything that we just read about there in 1 Corinthians 13, in John 14, with the Spirit of God, it tells us, the power that comes from god that gives us the ability to do those things see and the ultimate of everything that there is with god and the ultimate of everything that comes from god is the love of god to us and our love back to god okay here john 14 we read this last week And then we'll look at some things in John 15 about the love of God. All right? John 14. Here's the key important thing where we left off last time. Verse 23, John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, see, because love comes from God. And we, that is both of them, will come to him and make our abode or our dwelling with him. So this is the greatest thing that God can do is give us of his spirit and then give us of his love. But love comes because we live by every word of God, we study every word of God, we think with that way because God puts those laws and commandments in our hearts and in our minds. And we will see as we have that everything that God does for us, even the correction is all in love. Okay. Now let's come to John 15 because there are some important things for us to do here. John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Okay? Now, what he's going to show is this. Through the Spirit of God, with the Father in Christ dwelling in us, we have direct connection with God the Father. Okay? And as we will see in Ephesians 2, we'll review that in a, in a little bit, that we have direct access to God, the Father in heaven above. Now that's something. And think about that for a minute. Think about the model prayer that Jesus gave. He said, when you pray, pray after this manner. Our Father... Who is in heaven? Your name is holy. And then the next phrase, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means in our lives. Chapter 15, verse 2. Now notice. God is active in taking care of his vineyard. And God has to do this in verse 2 every once in a while so that there will not be the increase of false doctrine. Okay, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit now, what is the fruit to be born? Love, joy, peace, Galatians 5.22. All of that. And all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit are motivated by the Holy Spirit and are supported by all the laws of God and the Spirit of God. Okay. Now, here's what happens. doesn't bear fruit. He cleanses each one that bears fruit. Now remember the parable about the tree in the vineyard. That the master of the vineyard came and said, Ah, look at that tree. I've been here three years and it hasn't borne any fruit. Cut it off. And the keeper of the vineyard said, No, my Lord, let me hoe it and dung it. In other words... Let me give it some nourishment, and we'll try it out next year. So, if you have been negligent, if you have been sloughing off, do a little hoeing and dunging so that you can bear the fruit. Okay? And that's how he cleanses each one that bears fruit, in order that they may bear more fruit. Now, verse 3. You are already clean through the word that I have spoken to you. Now, how powerful is that word, and what what do we do, and how does that happen? Number one, through prayer. Number two, through Bible study. Number three, through the correct observance of the Passover. Because that's the renewal of the new covenant, see? See? to keep us in contact with God. Our part is to do it God's way, on his time, on his day, in the way that Jesus said. And that's what's important in the whole thing. Okay? And that's how we are then cleansed with the washing of the water of the word. Okay? You are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Dwell in me. Okay, Christ is in us, so we dwell in him. How do we dwell in him? By living by every word of God. Dwell in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but only if it remains in the vine. So You have to remain attached to Christ. but only if it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you are dwelling in me. Now take a look at it. I just did a church at home this week going through the 12-minute Jonathan Kahn call to the president, and it's amazing. Here's a man, Who's a great speaker. He can convince a lot of people. But he is not producing the fruit he could. Why? Because he's not obeying God. He can sound like he is, but he's not. How can he go to the Jews on Friday night and partake of Judaism, and then come Sunday to the Protestants and partake of Protestantism, neither one of these are what God says to do. Now, if you followed him, you will know that the great rally he had in July 2020 before the election That call to repentance and restoration brought nothing. Then he had a number of other repentance and restorations that came to nothing. Why? Because he never told them to repent and be baptized, and your repentance must be repenting of the sins or breaking the Ten Commandments Never taught that. He used the simple little prayer that Franklin Graham puts on television all the time. Okay? So, unless we are connected to God and Christ, we cannot bear or produce the fruit spiritually that God wants. Okay? Now, notice... Notice how this ties in with 1 Corinthians 13 about not exalting the self. Okay, I am the vine and you are the branches. The branches never tell the vine what to do, right? Never. The one who is dwelling in me and I in him bears much fruit. What kind of fruit do you have? You have personal fruit. You're a love and obedience and faith to God. Okay. Then you have fruit. It extends out to other people and to the brethren to love the brethren. We'll see that in a little bit. Okay. Then you have the fruit of being the example to people even in the world. The ministry has to have the fruit of preaching the truth and nothing but the truth and verifying all of that with the Word of God. And we have to teach all the brethren how to grow in grace and knowledge and use the Spirit of God to grow in grace and knowledge. What good does it do to have mass rallies? Okay? Look at the things like Joel Olstein, Supposedly thousands out there. But are they really connected with God and Christ? No. Okay. Bears much fruit. For apart from me, verse 5, you can do nothing. Now, you might be able to do a lot of things, but if what you do comes to nothing, then you have done nothing. If anyone does not dwell in me, he is cast out as a branch and is dried up, and men gather them and cast them into a fire, and they are burned. Now notice verse 7. Now notice this word, if, all the way through John 14, 15, and 16. And then the other things that we cover. Wherever there is the word if. And remember what God told Solomon? He said, if. And they didn't do it so he removed it if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you okay now does that not express to us the importance of study and think about hebrews 10:16 that god is writing in our hearts and inscribing in our minds his laws, and his commandments. And we use these as the basis of our thinking. If you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, you shall ask whatever you desire and it shall come to pass for you. That is answered prayer. Now, answered prayer doesn't come instantly except In a few cases, it takes time. You ask God to help me grow in grace and knowledge. And God answers that prayer if you study and pray. And if, when you get up up on your knees, then you are living God's way. And if you are thinking with the word of God. You see how all of that ties together? Okay. All of that works together. okay shall come to pass for you. Now notice verse 8, "In this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. so shall you be my disciples. Now here's the key. To the whole thing, right here. okay. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Live in my love. Okay. And remember, Jesus, to become the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, all of mankind, past, present, and future, gave up, emptied himself to become a pinpoint of life to be begotten in the womb of the Virgin Mary and be born and live a perfect life and die is that sacrifice through crucifixion. Okay? That's what he did. As the Father have loved me, verse 9, I have loved you, live in my love. If you keep my commandments. Now there he defines it. And exactly as John wrote in the first epistle of John. Live in my love or keep my commandments, you shall live in my love. Tie those three phrases together. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and live in his love. That's what it has to be for us. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest of all. Faith and hope comes from God as well. So the three come together. And with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God, this is how we are to live. And especially in these dangerous days that we're experiencing today. Let's go ahead and take a break and we'll be back in 20. Welcome back. We'll continue now with Sabbath services. Now before we continue in John 15, I want to make this announcement. For the next two maybe three sabbaths i'll devote that to answering any questions that you have so go ahead and email them in or write them in and i will take each one as they come and we did this once before and everyone thought we should do it again so now will be an opportune time for us to do that again so whatever questions you have But I will start out next week with a thorough study of the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So any questions you have concerning chapter 3, go ahead and bring them up, and we'll cover them beginning next Sabbath. Now let's come to John 15 again, and we ended up with verse 10. Okay, but let's read that again. Now notice, what this really tells us. And here again, we have the word if. So it's conditional. If you keep my commandments, you shall live in my love. Now, I wonder how the Protestants completely ignore that. How can that be? just as I have kept my Father's commandments and live in his love. Did Jesus break any of the Ten Commandments? No. Did he say they were done away? No. He said, till heaven and earth pass away, not one or tittle will be removed from the law or the prophets. Okay. No. So here it is here. Now we have God's Spirit to be able to do this. And that's what's the important thing. Now notice what else. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you in order that my joy may dwell in you and that your joy may be full. Now this is something that the world cannot understand. This is my commandment, that you love one another How? As I have loved you. Now we need to do that. Brethren, to each other, love them, be kind, talk to them the way that you would want to be talked to, encourage them, help inspire them, don't run down and be little different ones, and things like this, because that's not love. See, we're to love in our actions and in our words, not just in our words alone, but our actions, what we actually do. No one has greater love than this that he that one lay down his life for his friends. Now notice verse fourteen. Think of this. You're alone. Sometimes you're alone. You take no one cares for you, no one loves you, no one wants you. And sometimes we get into those positions. Isn't that true? Okay. Well, what does Jesus say? Verse 14. You are my friends. Now, that's quite a statement. You are my friends if. (laughs) There's that word again. If you do whatever I command you. Now, these are all such important verses. So remember this if you're talking to any Protestant friends. Okay? You want to be Jesus' friend and know that you're his friend? Well, he says how to do it right here. Okay? That's something. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends because I've made known to you all the things that I've heard from my Father. Well, that's quite a thing. Everything that we have in the New Testament, every word of God from the Old Testament, all comes from God the Father. Now, that's an amazing thing to live in a time When we have the whole Bible and we're living in a time where we can see many of the things that are in the book of Revelation transpiring or building up toward the fulfilling of the scriptures that are in the book of Revelation. That's an amazing thing, too. Now, notice verse 16. This has to do with the calling of God. Verse 16, you yourselves, and that means you of yourself, okay, did not choose me. That's quite a statement. Think about that now. Notice what else he says. But I have personally chosen you. Now, the Greek verb there is a middle-voice verb, which means Christ is the subject and the object at the same time. So in choosing us himself personally, personally involved in our lives, and this is what we need to understand, And don't let any man, any trouble, any difficulty, anything in life separate you from that. See? God the Father and Christ dwell in us. God the Father works in us to produce the fruit. Christ in us helps us to keep his commandments and love him and love God the Father and love each other. That's how it's all together in a whole package. You yourselves did not choose me, but I have personally chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you shall ask in the Father in my name, he may give you. Okay. Now that's something, see. Now lots of times we need to go over these things in depth so that we understand how we're to love each other and love the brethren and love God. Now he says, these things I command you that you love one another. How many times did he say it here? all the way through over and over and over again we will see when we get to first john in just a little bit that john carries that through even more okay now then verse 18 there will be things we will have to endure and that will come from the world because the world doesn't know god and the world doesn't understand God. And the establishment Christianity of this world is like a glass that's 25% full because they're missing the things that connect them to God. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. However, because you are not of the world, and that's what Jesus said again in John 17, we are not of the world the way that the world does. With the Spirit of God, with the Word of God, with the love of God, with the hope of God, with the faith of God, all of these things together amount to how we are converted and grow and change and overcome and develop the godly character that we need so that when Christ returns, we will rule the world. See? Now we'll have full power to do whatever is necessary. But we need to teach all the people to come to God, to repent of their sin. All of us will be involved in that, and Christ will be here, and the full power of the kingdom of God on earth will be here. So that's going to be quite a time, so keep that in mind. That's the whole purpose of why Christ came. He says, however, because you are not of the world, but I have personally chosen you out of the world, the world hates you for this. Now we'll find that come up from time to time. You can meet some of the some people in the world who are ever so nice, but they find out that you keep the commandments and you keep the Sabbath, and you live by every word of God. Bang! See, there you see that you're an enemy of theirs. Now, let's come to First John, all right? First John, and where we left off before was that our true fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And that's why and how we maintain it with prayer and study. Let's come to chapter 1, and we'll finish off a couple of verses here to put it all together, okay? Beginning in verse 3, 1 John, the first chapter. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we are reporting to you in order that you may have fellowship with us for the fellowship. Now, that is the main fellowship. Now, we have fellowship with each other when brother brethren get together, and that's great, and that's marvelous, but that fellowship is only as good as our personal fellowship with God before we get together with the brethren. The fellowship indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his own Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, if we love Christ, we love God and keep his commandments, then they will dwell in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power of the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what we need to overcome in a progressive way continually. And the ultimate of all of that, we'll jump ahead here a little bit, the ultimate of everything that we go through with the Word of God with the things that we read, we study, with loving God, with loving each other, and everything like that is summed up like this. That we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now that's the ultimate goal. And that goal has to be worked at all the time. See, And that comes through prayer, fellowship with God, study, fellowship with God, living God's way, fellowship with God, and with each other. So he says, verse 4, These things I'm writing to you so that your joy may be completely full. Think about this. What are we, who are we in this world that Jesus would call us, that the Father would be with us, that we would be given the spirit of the Father and the Son so we can have fellowship with them? Now with that, you're never alone, right? Though physically you may be separated from people and brethren. So he says, and this is the message, verse 5, that you heard from him, and we are declaring to you that God is light. Now, next week we'll talk about the light of God. So be sure, write in your questions on scriptures or difficult scriptures, because we'll spend the next couple of Sabbaths going through those. Okay? So remember that God is light, and there is no darkness at all in him. If we proclaim that we have fellowship with him but are walking in darkness, what what does walking in darkness mean? Living in the way of the world. And who is the prince of darkness? Satan. Who is deceiving the whole world? Satan. And how does he do it? With very alluring things. And very alluring practices. And once he has you. He doesn't bring you into deep sin. All at once. That takes time. Just like. When God calls us, he doesn't give us the full measure of his spirit instantly. We grow in grace. We grow in knowledge. We grow in understanding. We grow in understanding God's word. And that's why in studying it and restudying it, we learn more and more. Brethren, I learn all the time. All the time. Now, as you'll find out next week when I cover chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. There is so much in that chapter that is so profound, see, because this, we cannot understand the deep things of God unless we study and pray and learn and apply. And all of that amounts to the fellowship of God that we're talking about here. Okay. Now verse 6, if we proclaim we have fellowship with him but are walking in darkness, we're lying to ourselves and are not practicing the truth. Now that's the worst kind of lying. You lie to yourself and you believe your own lies. That's the worst kind of lying. And when you get into that full bore, that's hard to overcome. How do you get out of this? Well, verse 7 tells us. However, if you walk in the light, what is the light? The word of God, the truth of God, Christ in you. Okay? As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. All right? Fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ first, and then fellowship with one another. See? See? That's how it works. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his own son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we'll cover, during some of this study, Romans 7. Now, Romans 7 is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to understand. so we'll answer the questions there and one clue the protestants do not have a clue let's go on if we say that we do not have sin that means a sinful nature see and how do we start out just carnally speaking Jeremiah 17:9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and you can see how true that is today what everybody is cut loose right If we say we do not have sin we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us see Now notice God gives the way out so that we have fellowship with him. So he says in verse 9, if, boy, how many ifs have we covered today? I don't know. Probably at least a half a dozen or more. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, have you ever analyzed how he wrote this in the first chapter of First John? Think about it. He said we, including himself, us, including himself, not you, separated from me, who is the apostle, but we, because we all belong to God. See? So that's very interesting. Now, chapter two, he goes directly to you or the one who. Okay? My little children, I am writing, not we, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And yet if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And the way we know it now, with the holy days, that's past, present, present and future. By this standard, we know we know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now tie that in with what we read back there in John 14 and 15 about loving God and commandment keeping. See, they go hand in hand. On the other hand, is if anyone is keeping his word, isn't that what Jesus said? If you keep my word, yes. Truly, in this one, the love of God is being perfected. It's not something that comes all at once. We have to learn and understand our own nature in dealing with other people and learn and understand the nature of people in dealing with us and how we need to yield to God so that we can truly love each other okay so he says if anyone is keeping his word truly in this one the love of God is being perfected a process through our lifetime and by this means we know we are in Him. Okay. Now, notice how important that this is as a way of life. Verse 6 Anyone who claims to dwell in Him is obligating himself or herself to what? To walk. That means. The way of living. To walk even as he himself walked. Now that's a high standard, isn't it? Yes, indeed. So there we go. All right. So then he brings out about new commandment and so forth. All right. Then he says the one who doesn't love his brother is walking in darkness. All right? Let's come to chapter 3. There's a lot here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so now, especially at this time when we're dealing with the world and all the things concerning Christmas and all the things that go along with that. All right? Now, verse 1. We've covered this before, but let's really emphasize it. Because each and everyone who has the Holy Spirit of God is a begotten child of God. Like Peter wrote, you are begotten again. And we'll see here in 1 John 3 that that begettal is the seed of eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John. Behold, what glorious love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And isn't that what Paul wrote? Children of God, because we have the Spirit of God? Yes. For this very reason, the world does not know us, because It did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Not yet born, but we are the children of God. See? Now remember this Christ was born of Mary, the firstborn. Christ is called. In Revelation, the first chapter, the firstborn from the dead. Okay. Remember that because that ties in with being born again. See, So was Jesus born in the flesh? Yes. Was he born in the spirit? Yes. Was that being born again? Yes. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is manifested we shall be like him because we shall see him exactly as he is. Now that's quite a promise, isn't it, huh? All right. Now notice this, and everyone who has this hope, remember there are three faith, hope, and love, this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. How do we purify ourselves? By repentance, by studying, by living God's way. Okay. Then he says this, the contrast of the world. See? And this is what the Christianity establishment of this world does not preach. Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin is practicing lawlessness. The King James says, sin is the transgression of the law. Grace does not cover sin without repentance. Because grace is not given so we can live in sin. Grace is given so we can have our sins forgiven and have contact with God. See, that's the true grace of God, directly to the Father in heaven above. For sin is lawlessness. And we're told in this day, lawlessness shall multiply. And there it is. Okay. And we have known that he appeared in order that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Everyone who dwells in him does not practice sin. Now that's what it means. Because, up here in verse 4, the Greek for practicing lawlessness, the Greek practicing comes down here to verse 6, does not practice it. Doesn't say you won't sin, but you don't live in sin. You don't practice sin. Anyone who practices sin has not seen him nor knows him. Now that tells you very clearly. Okay? Every Protestant needs to hear this because you keep Sunday and God never authorized it, you are practicing sin. Every Sunday when you go to church, you are living in sin. And you think that your sins are forgiven, but they're not because you continually sin. And you know that he appeared in order that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. Everyone who dwells in him does not practice sin. Anyone who practices sin has not seen him nor knows him. Little children, do not allow anyone to deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Verse 8. The one who practices sin. That is, lives in sin. You do it constantly, habitually. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that is in God's time and in his plan as he We'll work it out. Okay. Verse 9. Here's the key. Everyone who has been begotten by God does not practice sin because his seed, a begotten, is dwelling with him, within him, And he is not able to practice sin because he has been begotten of God. Now, how does that work? Work this way. When you sin, the Holy Spirit in you convicts you and makes you conscious of your sin so you can repent. You can't practice sin doesn't say you don't sin. Because we find in the first chapter, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now he says here, verse 10, By this standard are manifest the children of God and the children of the devil, Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, neither is the one who does not love his brother. Okay, So having the love of each other and loving God all go together. Okay, Now, let's come over here to chapter 4, because chapter 4 tells us a lot about the love of God and what it's based on. Chapter 4, verse 4. After he says, "Don't believe every spirit, you are of God, little children, and overcome them because greater is He who is in you than the one who is in the world, and not Satan the devil and his agents. They are of the world because of this they speak of the world, and the world listens to them. We're of God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not of God does not listen to us. By this means we know the spirit of the truth and the spirit of deception. And that spirit of deception comes from Satan, the devil. Now hold your place here and come to Ephesians The second chapter. Okay. Because this become very important. Verse one. Here's how we are when God begins dealing with us. Now remember, Jesus said, I have personally chosen you. And all of us who elders who are elders, we need to understand this the brethren are the property of God. And we have the responsibility to teach them the way of God, the will of God, the truth of God, to grow in grace and knowledge. See? That's why God hates a hierarchy, because that destroys all of that. So here's how we were in the world. Verse 1, Ephesians 2. Now you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you walked, In times past, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is working within the children of disobedience. That is the spirit of deception. And what does it appeal to? among whom we also once had our conduct in the lust of our flesh, doing the things willed by the flesh and by the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest of the world. Now put in there, Christ personally chose us. God the Father himself chose us. Now tie that in with verse 4. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, great love, which he has loved us. Think about that. To apply the very sacrifice of Christ to you personally. Okay? Now, back to 1 John 3. Or 1 John 4, rather. That's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception, verse 6. Okay? Now then, notice how he writes to the brethren. Beloved, we should love one another because love is from God, and everyone who has been begotten by God knows God. That's really the most fantastic thing in the world, to know God, to pray to God, to understand his word, to have his spirit. Okay. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this way, the love of God was manifested toward us that God gave his only begotten son, sent him into the world that we might live through him. Okay. Now notice how all of this reflects back to what we've been covering. Okay. Verse 10. And in this act is the love that is the love of God. Not that we love God, we come to God and say, oh, God, I love you so much, you got to choose me. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Okay. Rather, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So he says he wants you to consider this. He wants you to understand this. He wants you to, this to be part of of the way that you think and act and walk in your life. Verse 11. Beloved, if God loved us, we also are what? Duty-bound to love one another. Now, tie that in with chapter 2. Let's turn back there and read that. Verse 6. 1 John 2 and verse 6, anyone who claims to dwell in him is obligating himself, which is the same as duty-bound, obligating himself also to walk even as he himself walked. That's quite a thing. Verse 11, chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are duty-bound to love one another. No one is seeing God at any time, yet if we love one another, God dwells in us, and his own love is perfected in us. See, Love is being perfected. We don't have perfect love yet, but we will. See? it's being perfected verse 13 by this standard we know that we're dwelling in him and he is dwelling in us because of his spirit which he has given to us and we have seen for ourselves and bear witness that the father sent the son is the savior of the world okay Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in him. Okay? Now that's the way it needs to be. Now verse 16. And we have known and have believed the love that God has toward us. God is love. And the one who dwells in love is dwelling in God, And God in him. And God wants that as a daily working relationship with his spirit. Through prayer, through study, through understanding the word of God. And realizing how we need to live. And understanding how the world is. And seeing how we need to help those people that God will call out of the world. Because he will. And we need to be prepared for when that time comes. Verse seventeen. By the spiritual indwelling, the love of God is perfected within us. And that means is being perfected. And perfection takes time. Perfection takes repetition. Perfection takes the spirit of God and the love of God and the commandments of God and everything about God that he has for us, see, perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because even as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in the love of God, rather perfect love Cast out fear because fear has torment. And the one who fears has not been made perfect in the love of God. We love him because he loved us first. Now then there's a final warning. If there's a false profession of love and you hate the brothers and sisters of Christ then we're liars. See? So this is what we need in the world that we're facing today. And this is how we need to handle it. So remember, next week, send in all your questions, email them or send them to by mail, either way, and we will spend several Sabbaths going through difficult scriptures so we can understand them. So until next week, so long, everyone.